welcome to The Room to Write in our series, The Journey of a Story. Today we're here with Gloria Mezikovsky, and she is a writer of all things, and most recently writer of children's books. And we're going to talk to her today about where she began and where she's writing now. So welcome, Gloria. Thank you very much for having me, because being on this show was an opportunity to go back in time and think about how I actually did become a writer. And I do have to say to the listening audience that I wasn't very good in the early years. Uh, when I was a child, I really didn't do any writing because I had a parent and teachers who liked to do the writing for me. Really? And it <laughs> may sound a little bit weird, but I was what you would call a monologist, elocutionist. And from the ages of four on, I would go on the stage with a memorized recitation, and I would present it. And I did very well that way. So people loved writing things for me. Teachers loved editing things for me. And I really did not have the confidence as a writer for many years. Yeah. But one English teacher, and if anybody is from the city of Lynn, I was from Lynn English, her name, Miss Peck, said to all of us in class, you will write something in class today from start to finish. And she recommended a poem. So I wrote my poem, didn't hear anything, and after a long while, out came an anthology of poetry, and in it was my poem. Wow, and the and teacher put this together? She put it together. Okay. Actually, she sent away to the National High School Poetry Association. Right. So she actually submitted it. And it started out with, I wonder what will happen soon to all our rockets near the moon. A scientist, I'm surely not. But subject-wise, it brings great thought. And it goes on and on. And actually... Now I know why they were writing. You still memorize that. That's amazing. Right. And 10 years later is when we landed on the moon. Oh, wow. And I, again, the end of the poem was, I wonder what will happen soon to all our rockets near the moon. Right. <laughs> so I, I just had this, brought it out, and I said, wow. So I finally realized in high school, I can write. But then college days came upon me. And I majored in drama and speech, did very well again on the stage, but had to be tutored when it came to writing compositions. And I was not very good until when I went to grad school, one of my professors gave me permission to write a play for children as my graduate research paper. And today, just before I came to the studio, I looked at it. And it's all about children who have had speech improvement classes and had to deal with articulation, volume, pitch, you name it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, plosive sounds are very important for children. They have to learn to emphasize different sounds. Right. And so this, I looked at Coco the Clown and Bobo the Burrow and, and Minky the Monkey, and I saw all that today and I said, gee, maybe after this show I might resurrect that play because I wrote most of it but then explained what would come of it. Right. And so 
Here I realized I had a professor who gave me the opportunity to write plays. And what were you majoring in that you had to write? That a was uh, actually speech and hearing. Oh. So I was working with youngsters who had a lot of speech affects. And, and that carried me through because when I left Boston University, I became a speech therapist. And one thing that I did, because I knew I wasn't a very good writer, and I knew where my roots were, that children had got, have got to express themselves. Mm -hmm. So I would bring a briefcase to each of the schools and tell the students to put their creative works in the briefcase. And eventually, when I became a Head Start teacher, my draw was available to them. There's a book out, and I know it was written many years ago. It's entitled Creative Power. And it's about the education for students in the creative arts by Hugh Mearns, M-E-A-R-N-S. Mm -hmm. Fantastic book. The last edition that was put out was, I think, in 1958, which dates me. But <clears throat> that's when I learned about all of these little techniques of drawing creativity out of kids. Right. And, and do you feel like... <clears throat> I mean, do you regret that you didn't get to, to write as a child, or do you feel that, I mean, obviously you're a wonderful writer. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of even just these days? I mean, that's well, not necessarily a very different time with parents doing things for their children and not letting right. them learn. I was a pen pal to people throughout my elementary school years. And eventually, when I was in college, I became editor of the fine arts newspaper because okay. I liked writing short things. And maybe that had to do with the recitations mm -hmm. that I would present. But now that I was into teaching, I decided I would go more into creative dramatics and children's theater. Right. And eventually, I ended up at Salem State. It was a college then. Now it's university. And I started doing plays, but I was also an assistant professor of communications. And I assigned my students informative speeches, mm -hmm. manuscript speeches, and I required them to write stories. A story about a day in the life of a penny, or a German Stein, or a mirror. Mm. And I wrote things for them as well, the class, to let them know what my expectations were. Right. And I also told them, in informative writing, when you speak about an idea, you give an explanation, a description, so that the listener or the reader doesn't have to think about what you're talking about. They will know by what you mean. So describe everything explicitly. Right. So I started, little by little, working in the realm of writing, and teaching speech. Eventually, down the line, I became a, an instructor at the Vocational High School in Wakefield. And one of the first things was to apply for a grant, a Horace Mann grant, to write a book. And fortunately, they accepted my proposal of this book, Focus. And it's entitled Fundamental Observations in Communicating with Understanding and skill. And the pages in here were written early in the morning when I went to school, maybe 6.30, 7 o'clock, and I just wrote, 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 wrote. Okay. And then a student helped me type it, 
And eventually... So did you write it at school when you got there? At you school. You were there a little bit before the kids? Right. Okay. I just did almost all of it at school. And then my son, along with a friend, actually helped me put this book together in the graphics communications department at the school. And it was shared with the staff, with the Ooh. faculty. And it has to do with following directions and employer-employee relations and customer relations and on and on. And it's been, uh, it was a wonderful joy to see that I could actually do something and have it bound. Right. And so when you're saying that, it just makes me think, uh, you know, a lot of people say, what do you, what, are, what is the purpose of different people writing? And there is something about a book, whether you're publishing it by actually binding it yourself at the vocational graphic oh, art school. Right. But, you know, can you describe or maybe try to talk about what is it that makes that different from a sheet of papers that's stapled together? What do you, how does that feel different for you? Oh, it, it, it absolutely. A, a sheet of paper with staples is work in progress. You know, I just, I didn't have a feel for it. I mean, I have everything from the past, but it just was a conglomeration of <laughs> a mass of a mess. Right. And, but when it's bound and when it definitely has a normal, either a paperback or a hardback cover, it is awesome. Mm. And, and I felt good about sharing it. Right. But during those years, I um, was able to combine efforts with a fantastic college classmate and dear friend and brother. And he is no longer here, but he was known as the Shakespeare of African drama wow. in Nigeria. As a matter of fact, students to this day have Professor Gladstone Olawali Rotimi's works. And he wrote me a letter during those early years when I had my children at home, and he said he wanted me to work with him on African folklores. So he would send me plays that was how the elephant got his trunk, mm -hmm. the contest between rain and fire. And he would say, Gloria, I know that you can readapt these and rewrite them, including more character development Mm -hmm. and more expression, and let's combine on this. And a few years ago, what I did is I selected three of those African folk tales, and I typed them up, mm -hmm. and I emailed them to his son in New Jersey, mm -hmm. because they have a foundation, and if ever they would like to have them published for the African children, right. I left it with him. Oh, nice. And so, so um, talk maybe a little bit about, because I haven't actually interviewed anybody who's done plays before. So how different an animal is it that you're going from writing a book that's, um, you know, sort of straightforward text mm -hmm. to adapting things to be a play? How do, what are the different... You have to get your mindset into a stage-like atmosphere, and you have to envision the characters on a play, and uh, on a set, mm. and in a play. And, and you have to work in trying to envision, you know, act one, act two, or scene one, scene two, so that it's an entirely different animal. Mm. And you have to deal with character development, setting, mm -hmm. 
and you have to deal with also staging because a lot of the writing you have to do in parenthesis, you have to say the character has a scowl, the character stomps his foot. Mm -hmm. So instead of writing it, you have to really encapsulate it into little areas, italicized, to let the people know what is required. You know, and you have to, the mood, you have to set the mood of the scene. If it's a somber mood, if it's an excited mood, if it's staged outdoors, indoors. So there has to be a lot of um, uh, parentheses, italicized, and then bold character statements. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you really have to talk and be each of those characters. Mm -hmm. And you have to go through it in that way. So it's it's not easy. And is there a guide? So for instance, when you had to do that for the first time, you didn't necessarily know how to set that up. Is there a, a you know some place writers could go to see how would you format that? And um, I'm sure there is, and they have had some playwriters, and I, I did know in the past about places in Boston. Um, I had had the respect and admiration for Adele Thane, who was head of Boston Children's Theater, who eventually became my neighbor in Wakefield. <laughs> Three houses down, how's that? That's fun. All of a sudden, here she alights upon the scene, and I knew her as a stage actress behind the scenes of the Boston Summer Theater because I did a lot of apprenticeship mm -hmm. when I was 12 to 15 years of age, so that having her in the neighborhood and to be able to bounce things off of her, I would go over there, I would read things aloud to her, I would read manuscripts to her and whatever, and she was able to really help me to deal with character development. It's amazing that you should ask that. Mm. She was a, a wonderful, wonderful woman. When I was teaching creative dramatics and children's theater to little youngsters in the city of Lynn, mm -hmm. I went out to Evanston, Illinois to study creative dramatics in the schools, because that's how much I was interested in it. And the woman, the head of creative drama in this country, I met with her for tea and crumpets, Winifred Ward, and she said to me, my dear, why do you think you are capable of working in this field? And I very brazenly said, oh, because I've performed on stage. She said, that is not the reason. You have got to learn to deal with children become sensitive to children, listen to them, and go back to Boston and meet Adele Thane, who will definitely put you in the right direction. Hmm. And I didn't. And it wasn't until she moved into my neighborhood that I did. <laughs> so that was, for me, yeah. quite an amazing situation. Right. So that I have enjoyed... Uh, writing plays. I had a children's theater company, the Piccolo Players, and in order to save money, I would write my own adaptations. Ah, maybe so talk that, about that a little. So that's probably a common problem that small theaters have. That that's right. They don't want to have now, to pay the royalties. So. This book, <laughs> right here, if you can just okay. hand, hand that over, I would sometimes play the role of a clown in the company. Sometimes I would perform with the company, and um, we have uh, we did seven years of mm -hmm. performances, and it's really it's been uh, an amazing moment in time because I started out at 
Salem State doing the plays for children. And then the students, the college students, wanted to follow me to Wakefield and start our own theater company. Yeah. And so we did that uh, for several years, and I would do workshops in the schools. And I think it's okay for me to say that Andrew McRae, a Wakefield resident, was one of the performers in one of my productions, nice. Hansel and Gretel. And, uh, and so and you'd take the basic stories and just you could just create your own screenplay and as long as you did it that's right that was that's right free change for the taking change the wording change the wording in the uh, show and this right here he actually was in Pinocchio right <laughs> here is a Wakefield resident nice. and um, it's just wonderful to meet up with him on the streets and to recollect all those years yeah. this was in the 70s so that that was one thing that I was engaged in. And then while I was teaching at the vocational high school, a couple of things happened. A history teacher asked me to write some history plays from their textbook. And so mm -hmm. I started doing Alexander Graham Bell and Booker T. Washington, Jan Metzeliger, who did the first shoe machinery in Lynn. And so I would write plays for her classes. And now, that, how long does that take? So fast, really? Oh, it's what's fun. fast? It, it, you just hours. Uh, I would say hours. You write down the characters, read the short story, and then begin talking it. Just become the characters, and, and you just come up with your own dialogue and absolutely, and try to incorporate the facts mm -hmm. as best you can. Right. And that was one of it. But then a lot of students, and I know today too, have difficulty with spelling. Mm -hmm. Spelling and the meaning of words. So I did copyright a book entitled Spelling Made Easy, and it's for elementary school age children. It's still sitting. <laughs> but in the uh, drawer. <laughs> right. Or it's sitting there and I would like to do something with it. But what it is, and this is just one example. This is uh, learning to deal with the left to the right side of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so you have F and R eating french fries and onion rings. And then in the middle, you have they're going to the movies. In the middle, you have someone at an information booth. And on the other side, the right-hand side, the movie has just ended. It's the end of the movie. So two friends going to the movies. And what I would do is I would ask a student, okay, give me the letters. The left, the middle, the right. Hmm. And now put it all together. Right. And that's and I did. I have done this with thousands of words, and I love um, drawing, even though it's just doodling. And the college prep it looks a little better than doodling. <laughs> <laughs> I can doodle, but <laughs> the college like prep that. teachers actually asked me to do their words as well. Wow. So it became way more complex. Here's mm. another one. Here's A Street, two cops an injured party, and a dent in a car. You take the left, the middle, the right, and yeah. you have the word accident. 
So it goes on and on. And the last one I would just like to share, this one is good too, bicycle, but the last one, it's a difficult word, and that is the word for Halloween. Hemorrhage, okay? The hem of a skirt, there's blood flowing down, or a small conjunction, RH blood factor in the middle. On the right, you have a face of old age bleeding from the mouth. And again, Ask somebody, what's the picture on the left, the middle, and the right? Put the letters together. And right. You, and I it, will never forget how to spell that word. <laughs> it, really, it really gives people Visual. More, yeah. con more confidence right. you know, in their abilities. So that's what happened over the years. And then throughout um, the years of teaching at the Vogue and then eventually retiring in 2010, I did a lot of books, this one of my husband. I wrote a lot of uh, books encapsulating trips, mm -hmm. uh, stories of our life, family legacy books. And, and so were these, is this like Shutterfly or is this? This is uh, my publisher who unfortunately went out of business and their sister company is Shutterfly. Okay. And so again, it entailed a lot of writing. Right. Okay. A lot of writing, and I love doing this. And that's a great thing to, you know, I mean, we got holidays coming, believe it or not. That's but, right. But um, that is a wonderful way that people can even just get in, do, you know, documenting their own family story, or you have a wonderful recipe book here, uh, family recipes. That's and right. And you don't have to get a publishing contract or do anything complicated. Shutterfly or oh, some of wonderful. these companies, uh, you can just upload all your images That's and right. create a book for a family keepsake. Right. Now, these books, naturally, you don't sell. I got them for right. the family, and that's it. But when I retired, I had a dream to write a cookbook. And I have the fortunate um, uh, family dynamics of a son who's a photographer and a daughter-in-law who's a graphic designer. So I set out with them for a three-year period, and wow. we put together dessert gems. Dessert gems. And so... And is this, this traditionally, how did you get this published? How okay. does that work? I went to different bookstores, mm -hmm. and I saw where some people were self-published, and one publisher stood out, Artful Dragon in China, looked good, went online. And that's a self-publishing company? Right. Okay. Went online and uh, found that it was reasonably priced, and my daughter-in-law is capable of uploading Mm -hmm. Russ came over and did all the photography, and then we set to me writing notes because my mom, my grandmother always wrote little extra notes, right. and that again it helped me to engage in more thoughtful writing yeah. so that each and every page has a description and little tidbits, and this book has been selling now for the last four years, and I've gone and done um, book signings mm -hmm. and also dessert tastings. What I've done is I've gone to different organizations and made some things. And, nice. And, and then, so do you just, how does that publisher work? You just order a bunch or people order them online? You or? order a bunch, either 500, 1,000, 2,000, whatever. And um, I have one 
book order coming through now. It's going to take about a month. First, they send a few books for you to look at to make sure that you're in agreement with everything. Right. And then uh, they, they fly in, and then everything comes by slow boat from China. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so right. um, now I have uh, another order coming in for another book. But this, it's wonderful. Yeah. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah, and, and <laughs> beautiful um, uh, paper. And I mean, people take for granted, you know, your recipes all have, for the most part, stories attached to them in history and right. traditions. And uh, and you have so many things, and I, and I don't mean to rush, but we can't not talk about, speaking of your husband as well, who was the wonderful illustrator for this, uh, A Perfectly Snowy Day, which is your most recent effort. Right. And could you talk a little bit about where yes. this story come from and, you know, how'd you this come to it? This came from my childhood, from a very blizzardy, snowy day in Lynn. And my dad had his car parked in the driveway because he had to walk to work over the hills. And I was around 11 years old, and my mom gave me permission to meet him on the hills at <laughs> night and so Ooh. it was really cozy and it was eerie mm. and I wrote this story 40 years ago Wow! and I read it to children in the doll bear in Montrose schools so that that's when the Montrose was in existence and I and back then you would have just been reading it from your own from a paper that's right okay. from a paper and then uh, I had three grandchildren nine 11, 13, and I started, I took out the folders a few years back and started reading to them, and they were interested. So I said, great, now I need an illustrator. I asked my husband, he said, I'm not an illustrator, I'm an artist. I said, excuse <laughs> me, and I started drawing and little stick figures. And this is a great um, lesson, and I've heard it from a few writers I've talked to, is don't throw anything away. You know, you could have an idea that is 40 years old. That's right. And you bring it back to life. A lot of these things are timeless. I love the fact that he researched the snowplow, and he also researched the 49 Plymouth. Ah. And that was awesome because uh, it, it was very difficult. The uh, snowplows are no longer. They're not what they, <laughs> they were <laughs> years ago. But this is what... It came through with a riveting sound. Oh, wow. And this is the book, and I've been doing preschool presentations and book signings. And, and so did you go through the same publisher for that? Or absolutely. How did, how did this work? Okay. Absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful publisher. I did get 500 books the first time over. Mm -hmm. Now I just reordered another batch that are coming through for the holiday season. So the book is doing well. Wow. And I actually have another story just copyrighted and this, this one is this and again, doodling my husband okay did this fantastic you guys are both really good doodlers <laughs> and this is called goggles for a gloop i love it and it has to do with remorse and forgiveness because he does some damage to the woodlands and he has to really do some recompense hmm. with the owl and the birds and the ants and so this is the beginning, Goggles for a Gloop, and this particular gloop's name is Gomer, <laughs> Gomer <laughs> the Gloop. It. So that is forthcoming. But and do you ever think of, uh, is this just the way you want to go because you have full control, or do you ever think of going traditional publishing, or what, where did that decision come in? I, 
I tried doing a lot of, um, I sent out to a lot of publishing companies, got some nice positive responses. We're not, you know, we're not accepting any this year. Mm -hmm. And I have to say at my age and stage, I finally decided I want to see it. Right. I want to see it, and I think I need to do it. And you can make it happen so right. easily these days. And someone was supposed to get me an agent, and I didn't hear that. And I said, you know what? I will publicize it. I've done my own, you know, writings for news articles and, right. and local magazines or journals, and I just get it out. And that's another side of it, which I know from seeing your things, you're very good at. Have to uh, get you're it out. out there connecting with different store owners yep. and. Uh, you just have to, you, you can't just publish something and let it sit in the corner. Oh, now, any, any particular advice in terms of your things you've done that you have seen the most feedback from and that you could tell writers whether they self-publish or traditionally they still need to? If you have a news article out there and leave your, you know, email address, uh, phone number, whatever, I've been getting some wonderful responses. So you write sort of a press release that mm -hmm. talks about your book. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing, do you write it in the third person, like it's a regular press release? Right, and right. And then you send it to, what, Local every newspaper in, in the vicinity? Or? Now I do send out, like today I sent out to a local school, and I let them know that I'm available for a, you know, presentation of any kind. Okay. And then I sent them the front and back cover of the book so that they will see a little bit of information. Right. And the age factor, this one is for three-year-olders to maybe nine-year-olders. And um, I let them know a little bio mm -hmm. so that they can understand that, you know, I am a retired educator. My husband is a an artist. Right. And do you both go or just you? Well, in a couple of instances, he did go to a school here in uh, Wakefield, and he okay. did do a beautiful illustration. Nice. for the children and they were really they were right like, there in front of them yes and they were enamored they were so mesmerized and now he's going to do it again with me oh, good. Um, someone has invited us to an evening event so that it starts to evolve right and I love reading stories out loud it mm -hmm. comes from the dramatic background right but it's now, just so you go you read your story yes uh, do you charge the schools for any fee, or how does that work? I just do book signings. Okay. I have not been charging. Some people, they do. Some people have asked me what I charge, and I've said, it's okay, okay. Um, if the book signing is sufficient. Oh, so you're expecting a certain number of sales, right. and you'll sign them, you read the story, right. and talk to them, answer questions, I'm guessing? Right, yes. Okay, because that's a big part of, you know, a lot of people don't realize there's a whole, <laughs> you, you don't just publish your book, there's marketing it, there's connecting with the readers. No, you're um, absolutely and right. hopefully we've connected with some readers today. Oh, I uh, hope so. <laughs> And there's so many more things I want to talk to you about, but we don't have any more time. But right. anything that you want to leave, a closing advice, or? I would say, don't give up. And, and you've got to say to yourself that if the thought came to me that I would like to write, pursue it, pursue it. I had a woman from Lynn who called me and emailed me because she wants very much to publish a story. And she asked if she could come over to my house. And I went through everything with her, and she's still in touch with me. If you are interested in anything, whether it's children's writing, you have any questions, you can feel free to 
contact me at glomez at verizon.net or call the studio. But if you have a thought of something you'd like to share, mm -hmm. go for it, pursue right. it. Express it. You know, don't just close. I mean, I have so many things now that I look forward to doing. I don't have a special time that I write. Mm -hmm. I don't have a special that I make time. Right. I make time to do it. And I'll also have you uh, a link for your site or your wherever your pages are mm -hmm. on my website as well. Oh, wow. um, and you. so thank you so much for coming in, Gloria. Thank you for thank sharing you. a perfectly snowy day and all of these yeah. different books that you've done. Thank you for um, having me. And if you'd like to uh, watch any of the other episodes, you can visit theroomtowrite.com. And we also have a podcast, which we do each month, which is this, the in, these interviews, but in podcast format. And if you're interested in joining us in the studios, if you're a writer uh, and you've published your writing in any format, you can email me at colleen at theroomtowrite.com. Thank you.